welcome to Quizmas, the Christmas quiz series featuring me, Olivia, your host from the Australian Science Media Centre and panellists from Cosmos. Our panellists and quiz takers today are Ian Cunellan, Ellen Fidian and Ema Perfetto from Cosmos. They spend their days writing the very same science stories for Cosmos online news journal, magazines and podcasts. So let's see how many of these stories have sunk in this year. So guys, I'm going to ask each of you a question one by one, and then I'll give you a point for each correct answer. If you get a question wrong, I'll throw it to the others to see who can answer it. And I'm also very open to giving bonus points if you can tell me anything more about the question or about the story that I'm asking about. So first question, I'm going to direct at Emma. So Emma. Which predator has the highest success rate? I've got a multiple choice here. A, African wild dogs. B, dragonflies. C, African black-footed cats. Or D, the peregrine falcon. I have no clue, but I think what I'm going to do is go for the unexpected one. So maybe the dragonfly because, I don't know, I have a feeling that, you know, if you're running around you know, trying to chase down your your prey on the African savannah or something. You probably aren't going to get it every time, but dragonflies are so fast and they kind of freak me out a little bit. So I feel like they're probably killing machines. So I'm going to go with the dragonfly. You are absolutely correct. So uh, I got this uh, question from a list of successful predators and I don't know if you guys know this, but African black-footed cats are the most successful cats in the, in the animal kingdom. Ooh. So they're these small, cute things, and they have a really high success rate, which I thought would throw you off, but it didn't. Uh, <laughs> but dragonflies have a 95% success rate. Uh, so that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing because wild dogs are 85% success rate. Black-footed cats uh, being the most successful cats are 60% success rate. And peregrine oh, wow. falcons are nearly 50% success rate. So it's pretty wild that you could get a 95% success rate when you're killing stuff. Absolutely. Oh, it's a dragonfly. Uh, so, Ian, I've got a question for you now. In May, a climate change study found that storms in the southern hemisphere have already reached intensity levels predicted to only occur in what year? So this is also multiple choice. So we've got, is it A, 2030, B, 2050, C, 2065, or D, 2080? For some reason, Olivia, 2080 mm -hmm. is resonating in my head, but there's mm -hmm. been so much climate change news this year, I could well be just crossing wires with something else that was said. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go with 2080. You're right. Great memory. You've taken that in very well. It's 2080, which is insane to me. Oh. Now, Ellen, I've got one for you. NASA sent a spacecraft named Juno to Jupiter in 2016. The name Juno was said to be the punchline to a 400-year-old joke. Why is that? Are you able to tell me why? Jupiter, when they started discovering moons around it, they started naming it after. So Jupiter's the um, Roman god. They started naming it after Jupiter's paramours in mythology. So all of the women that he'd um, engaged with in, you know, the form of a shower of gold, an ox, etc. Um, all of his lovers. And Juno is the name of Jupiter's wife. So the joke is that NASA is sending Jupiter's wife to check in on Jupiter <laughs> and all of his lovers. 
100% correct. Absolutely correct. And, and you know what? I think just for the detail there where you were able to say the Roman God and all of these other things, I'm going to give you two points for that because I was expecting a very vague, oh yeah, his mistresses and his wife, but you were able to say everything. So mistresses was the word I was looking for. <laughs> so for this question, I'm going to get you all to take turns in explaining something science-y in a way that a random person on a street would hopefully understand. So I'll start with you, Emma. Are you able to explain to me, please, why La Nina and El Nino are called La Nina and El Nino? <laughs> I know that La Nina means little girl mm -hmm. and El Nino means little boy in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy question. So. Well, I will go with Ian next. So, Ian, are you able to explain why they are called La Nina and El Nino? Counterintuitively, it's all about the, the Pacific Ocean near Latin America. So it could even be Northern Hemisphere or Equatorial. Um, one, of, one of the two is the, the ocean warming and one of them is the ocean cooling and they have this counterintuitive effect of producing either dry seasons or wet seasons in Australia. I think when it's warm up there and dry up there, it's wet down here. Ellen, give it a go, see what you can get. <laughs> so Emma and Ian are both right. Uh, El Nino is a little boy, La Nina is a little girl. And yeah, it's to do with the transfer of heat across the Pacific Ocean. So in an ordinary year, there's sort of warm water kind of in the western side of the Pacific Ocean, which means that it evaporates more and the western side of the Pacific Ocean, so that's us, um, gets a lot more rain. In an El Nino year, that cycle breaks down and that warm water goes all the way across to the eastern side to, to Latin America. So they get the warm water, which means that they get the precipitation. We get cold water, so it becomes very, very dry. And because it's so dry, it gets very hot in southern Australia. Um, La Nina is when the cycle does the opposite and it intensifies. So we get lots more warm water around Australia, around the western side, and lots more precipitation. And they get very, very dry um, conditions in the Americas. So they kind of, they're the inverse of each other, I would say, is why they call it El Nino and La Nina. I don't know why specifically they chose little boy and little girl. I do know that I think El Nino was first suggested by Peruvian fishermen when they started noticing warm currents off the coast of South America. Um, and they were like, it's it's an El Nino year, I guess. Um, but I'm not sure why they chose little boy specifically for that. Interesting. Okay, so I will give you, I think, Ellen, I'll give you a point for the best answer. Why they're called La Nina and El Nino, you're right. So it was named by Peruvian fishermen originally. Um, when they would get this warm water, what would come with it is lots of fish. So they would just kind of oh. get all of these fish coming with it. And so they would see that as a gift. And because it was around Christmas, they would say that Jesus is coming and he's given us the gift. So the little boy oh, is, is coming and he's, he's brought us this gift. And uh, the gift, of course, is the fish. And so it's That's basically great. El Nino is here. The boy has come. He's brought us these gifts of fish uh, for Christmas. And then La Nina is just the opposite of that. So very interesting. Little That's super cool. Emma, this question is now for you. Okay, okay. According to recent research, how likely is it that someone somewhere on Earth will be hit by a falling rocket or falling rocket debris within the next decade? Is it A, a 1 in 10 chance, B, a 1 in 100 chance, or C, a 1 in 1,000 chance? 
Um, falling space junk. It burns up though. You would think it burns up. So, but there is a chance because there's no zero percent mm. option. Mm. One in a thousand, I'm going to go because yeah, it seems unlikely. It seems mm, very sure. unlikely. Well, that answer is incorrect. So oh. I'll throw it to someone else. Ian, you did have your hand up, so I'm going to pop it over to you now. It has happened to someone, someone in, in Arizona or Oklahoma, somewhere in the state, someone got hit. Yes, it's not meant to burn up when it re-enters the atmosphere, but it doesn't all burn up. Mm. Um, I, I guess there are more targets because there are 8 billion people. I, I, I can't accept that it's 1 in 10, so I'm going to say 1 in 100, but I'm guessing. 1 in 10, isn't it? You are incorrect. And Alan, you're right. It's one in 10. And apparently people in the global south are more at risk, but countries like Bangladesh and Indonesia apparently have it worse than Australia. So Because they're equatorial as well, right? Which is Mm. where they're more likely to come down. It's not great. One in 10. So everybody wear hard hats outside. (laughs) So Ian, I've got a question for you now. Okay. According to recent research, what determines whether or not our poop floats? Wow. Um, so, uh, I haven't read the story and I haven't read the research. I'm going to say it's got to be something to do with gas content, hasn't it? I'll give you that. Uh, so you're right. It's the gas. Something new that we kind of found is that it's uh, produced by our gut bugs. So our Uh gut bugs, it was actually an accidental discovery, which is quite interesting. They were just looking at the gut bugs in mice and rats. And um, one set of these mice didn't have gut bugs and their poop always sunk. And then when they had the gut bugs transplanted back into them, they floating again. Ellen, I've got one for you now. What percentage of the world's bacteria can be cultured in a lab? I'm going to guess it's like less than 2%. I think, I, I reckon it's really small. There's a lot of bacteria out there. Good Lord, you're a genius. It is literally less than 2%. That is the figure in the research. <laughs> so yes, apparently we are grossly ignorant of bacterial life on Earth and can only culture less than two percent. It's a little bit better for stuff in our bodies. Uh, we can culture about fifty percent of our oral microflora, so the bugs in our mouths uh, and that kind of thing. But for every bacteria, less than two percent. Insane. Oh. Emma, can hot water freeze faster than cold water? No, no, I'm pretty sure that that's potentially a myth. I think, I think that hot water like loses um, sort of heat energy quicker than something that's like lukewarm. But then once it gets to lukewarm, it still has the same amount of time to then lose all of that heat energy to get down to, to you know, freezing uh, level. So I think, I think that's a myth. Yeah, I'm going to say no. That's not the answer that I had. (laughs) Is anyone else able to give me maybe the answer that I was looking for? Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ellen. It's a thing called the Mpemba effect, isn't it? So sometimes in some, I don't know how to pronounce it, but in some (laughs) contexts hot water can actually freeze faster than cold. Um, Like people have noticed it in freezes and stuff. But last time I checked, which I'm not like up to speed on this, but they didn't really know why. It was something to do with the crystallization of water and they weren't really sure, but there were some contexts where hot would freeze faster. 
You're some kind of computer brain and you, you got it. But. <laughs> yeah, so it can freeze faster than cold water and it's due to the Pember effect. Ian, a UK study found that dogs can smell when you're stressed. So what stressful situation were the dogs trained to smell? So I've got A, exercise, B, being yelled at by a drill sergeant, was it C, doing maths problems, or D, monitoring relationship breakups? I'm embarrassed to admit that I read this one, <laughs> but it clearly hasn't stuck. Um, I'm going to go with what I'd find stressful, and I, I don't like people yelling at me. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing a large man in a military uniform would be even more stressful than, than you know, just your mum or your dad yelling at you. So I'm going to go with that, but I'm not at all convinced that that's right. Uh, you're not correct. Does anyone else want to give it a go? Me. I wrote this one. <laughs> <laughs> so they had participants do mental arithmetic, so uh, maths in the brain without any sort of writing, and specifically they had to count backwards from some insane number like, I don't know, 17,000 or some thousand back in units of 17 uh, um. without... Yeah, that being able to, to, like, write anything down. And um, when they got it wrong, the researchers would say, like, loudly and sternly, like, no, that's incorrect, you know, try again. And when they got it right, they wouldn't, like, enforce, like, they wouldn't say, yes, good job, that you would just be, like, expected to continue to do that. Uh, and they did that for, like, two minutes straight and um, sounds horrible. Amazing. You're correct. And I'll give you an extra point for that because you were able to give so much detail. Uh, and that is a very stressful situation. Ellen, what's the best way to soothe a crying baby according to science? It's also multiple choice. A, holding them and walking for five minutes. B, giving them 200 mils of milk mixed with five mils of whiskey. C, playing 20 minutes of whale sounds or in a pinch just mimicking the whale sounds or D, wrapping them tightly in a blanket and rocking their cot for three minutes. When I was a baby, apparently the way to get me to stop crying was to cry at me. Um, <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I just need someone to be crying. It doesn't have to be me. <laughs> um, I reckon it's A. I reckon it's holding them and walking them. You're right. You're absolutely hey. correct. As uh, many parents would probably already know, holding your baby and walking them is apparently the best way to get them to calm down and even lower their heart rate as well. So their heart rate would slow when you would do that. So we're up to our final round now. So first of all, Emma, a set of twins was born in the US recently and this broke the record for the longest frozen embryos to ever result in a live birth. How long were they frozen for? So this is a multiple choice. Oh, okay. is it, was it A, five years? B, 15 years, C, 30 years, or D, 50 years? I don't think it's five years. That seems way too low. I don't think it's 50 years because I don't know that the technology was around at that point. So it's either, I think it's either 15 or 30. 15, conceivably, I think, but 30. Ooh, ooh. Conceivably, no pun. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to be so annoyed if I get this wrong. Um, I'm going to go with 
15 years. I'm going to go with 15 years because 30 just seems so long. It's probably 30. I'm sorry to say that that's incorrect. (laughs) Would anyone else like to give it a crack? I reckon Emma's reasoning started out the right way. I'm I'm not sure that IVF was available 50 years ago. It certainly was 30 years ago. 30, and really, I just want Ellen to, you know, go for a clean sweep. (laughs) You got it, Ian. There's no chance for Ellen to take the clean sweep here because you've you've stolen the point out from under it. The twins were named Lydia and Timothy Ridgway, and they were born on October 31 this year and beat the previous record, which was 27 years. Yeah, wow. Pretty good. Pretty good. Ian, uh, what is the name of NASA's next moon mission, and why was it given that name? Well, it's it's Artemis, and Artemis was Apollo's sister. I think that it's going to be the first time that men and women fly to the moon. I think I've got this right. So Artemis was settled on one because it's a female entity, and secondly, because it's going to be the first time that that women go as far as the moon. They have been in orbit, of course, reasonably regularly, but um, it's going to be a a mixed group that goes. Brilliant. That's that's correct. That's completely correct. Actually, I might even give you a bonus point for that for mentioning both reasons because I was just expecting one, so I'm happy with it. <laughs> Ellen, final question for you. Ancient slates found along the Iberian Peninsula and carved to look like owls were once thought to represent deities or have some kind of ritualistic significance. Now, researchers have another theory about what these carved owls are. Are you able to tell me what the theory is? I can because I've actually emailed back and forth with the researcher who published this. These archaeologists think that actually um, they've looked at kind of the the quality of the carvings and they've also looked at drawings done by contemporary children of owls and they've gone, look, they're actually quite similar. We think that these owl slates were actually carved by children possibly as like training for carving other things, possibly as toys, but compared to a lot of the other like stuff from that age, they think it's not nearly as um, kind of elaborate or delicate as a lot of the other carved stuff. So they think it's quite possible that kids were doing it as training. The thing I loved the most about this research was that they ranked both these like ancient sort of 5,000-year-old slates and these modern children's drawings on a six-point owliness scale. (laughs) They compared the owliness scores of each picture, which I thought was so cute. Absolutely brilliant and completely correct, yeah. (laughs) I I just love the idea that for years we thought that they were something to be worshipped and it's like, ah, just a bunch of kids stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is one of the things the researcher said to me. He was like, to be honest, it could be both. Just because mm-hmm. they were made by kids doesn't mean they didn't have religious significance. But uh, we think we think you need to consider the kids thing too. They don't have to just be icons. So I've got the scores here. In third place, we have Emma with three points. In second place, Ian with five points. And the winner, Ellen, with the last bonus round taking her to nine points. Which is <laughs> oh my god! Absolutely insane. So congratulations, you win this oh. Christmas crown. Wear it proudly. Vindicated. So thank you everyone for tuning in to Quizmas featuring Cosmos and the Australian Science Media Centre. Some of today's questions were taken from a short list of the OSSMC's top 10 science stories and top 10 weird science stories of 2022. 
If you're curious about what made the cut, visit our news portal, cymex.org. And if you'd like to know more about AusSMC and how we work to improve the accuracy of science reporting for all Australians, visit smc.org.au. Thank you all so much for joining us today and wishing you all a very Merry Christmas and tune in for the other Quizmases in the future. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Olivia. Thank you.